listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Continuing on in our series here, this mind, a new way of thinking, thinking biblically, thinking in light of the gospel. And last week we finished up chapter 1 and Paul was telling the church in Philippi, hang in there folks, hang in there. Yes, it's tough. Yes, there are dangers. Yes, there are difficulties. There's, there's persecution coming at you from the outside that's going to result in some, some, some beatings and some prison time. And, and maybe you're going to be ostracized from family members or from your neighbors. Or maybe it's going to affect you in how you do your business and how your business affairs get conducted. And, 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 and life in general could be a lot more difficult for you folks in Philippi, church in Philippi. But hang in there. Keep going. Don't, don't, don't give up. Remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done. And the pressure was incredibly intense for them in that time. And and we learn that because Paul says, Paul is writing from prison himself as he's in Rome in prison and he's writing to them and just saying, hang in there, I know you're going through the same things that I'm going through. And, and, And so he's encouraging them and challenging them not to let the suffering and the persecution that is going on to destroy their faith. And now he's also saying, don't let it destroy your personal faith, but also don't let it destroy your church. Hang in there. Stand, stand strong. And so as we came to the end of, of chapter 1, last week we talked about how Paul reminds them you've been graced with salvation, but he also told them you've been graced with suffering. That suffering is a, it has been graced to us, that, that it is something that God has allowed for us to, to be able to learn and grow and, and, and be challenged through. And, and so in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is wanting to now, kind of making a little bit of a shift here, he's wanting to make them aware of another danger that was kind of lurking within the body of Christ, lurking within the church. And today we're going to look at the first four verses of chapter 2 in in the book of Philippians. And in the original text, when you look at these first four verses, those are some significant statements that get made. We're going to read from it in just a moment. Just so you understand, though, that when it was written in the original, it was all written in one sentence. It was a very long run on words. I mean, an English teacher today, if it was all put in one sentence, they'd probably put a big F on on the students, um, you know what, the mark that they would receive from it because it indeed isn't one sentence, especially in the English language, but, but what they would do in literary styles back then that when you wanted to emphasize something and get a message across, you would just write it all in one long sentence. And so that's what Paul is doing. He has something very important, something he wants to get through to them because it creates intensity and a strong emphasis if you write it in this way. Maybe today an example of that would be, you know, when you send a text message or an email and if you use all uppercase lettering um, throughout the entire email or in parts of it, people might think you're angry because you you put uppercase to to emphasize a certain word or something like that. And and I remember hearing of, of some employees one time um, thinking and, and just totally staying away from the boss one day because he had sent out a number of emails to, to the staff and, and he used uppercase and everything and they're like, oh my goodness, stay away from this guy, he's angry, he's upset, you know, and, and, uh, and so everyone was kind of avoiding the boss that day and then he calls in one of the staffers and they come in and, and they're like, oh no, I'm in trouble now because the boss really seems to be in a mood today and he says, 
everything I'm sending today has our capital letters. He didn't know about the cap lock button on his computer, and so everyone thought he was angry because he was writing in that way. And so those are just some literary styles and, 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 uh, that we have today. Well, for Paul, it was put it all in one great big long sentence because it's really important. He wants to emphasize something to them. And so here is Paul making a very passionate, emotional appeal to the church in Philippi. Remember, they're a struggling church. There's, there's persecution and difficulties that they're facing. And so here is what he says to them. I'm going to read starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This past week I read a story And then I went online to find out if it was true or not, and it seems very much to be true, sadly. It was about a church a number of years ago in Dallas, Texas, that had a very unfortunate church split. Two sides were formed, and the battle lines were drawn. And now both sides were laying claim to the church's building. One side wanted the building, the other side wanted the building, and there was no negotiation. They wanted it. It became a media circus because it ended up in court, ignoring God's word about taking these kind of um, situations to civil courts. They went to court over it. In the end, one side was granted the building, the other side was out of luck. No building. So they both went on two different congregations. I guess that can be church growth, North American style at times. What was the issue that split the church? Was it a doctrinal issue? A style of service? Was it because of worship or the color of the carpet that was being changed and some people were opposed to it? I heard of one church in, in uh, a Christmas Eve service that the pastor and the organist got into, and, and it was a male organist and, and, and gives a little more understanding to it and yet still no excuse for it, got into a huge fight right before the Christmas Eve service because the pastor thought for some of the theatrical kind of things going on in the service, they needed to move the organ from one side of the church to the other. And so he moved it for the Christmas Eve service. The organist walked in, um, blew up, and and it started an actual fight uh, because they moved the position of the organ. Well, what was it in Dallas, Texas, this story I was describing just a few moments earlier? You know what it was that split the church? One of the longtime elders was served a smaller piece of ham than the young child that was sitting next to him at a church supper. Serious. Over a piece of ham. I have to say, that guy's just a pig. You know, I mean, you think about it when, when that sort of thing happens. Sad. Friday, I was working in one of my local offices, one of the coffee shops here in town, and I overheard two men talking, and uh, one of them was talking quite loudly, and I had earbuds in, but I could hear him over the earbuds that I had in, and so I took took them out and kind of listened to the conversation, and he talked about, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I I went to church ever since I was young, and I went through battalion, which was kind of a boys' brigade program, and and, and I went through all the clubs and youth group, but but I've walked away from it, he says, The churches I went to, people just couldn't get along. 
And he says, who needs that? Who needs that kind of fighting? And I kind of thought, sad, sad, sad. There are many hundreds and even thousands of stories like that in our city. Even stories like that for those that are here this morning, perhaps. Disunity, division, destruction is not far from any church and even a church like ours. Disunity and division isn't far away because you see one thing, when God institutes something for our good, we also have to know that Satan isn't going to stand by without trying to do anything, that he immediately will begin assaults trying to pervert the work that God is desiring to do, desiring to, to, to harm us, to, to try to bring division or disunity within the body of Christ. And so even though the Philippians were, were suffering and was going through hard times, and sometimes those kind of things can actually draw you in close, Paul is still reminding them, don't take your foot off the gas pedal. You need to be united. You need to be together. You need to be of one heart, one mind together. And so Paul is, is calling the church here to unity. He's encouraging them and warning them. And not just the kind of unity that kind of, you know, which isn't true unity at all, which kind of just simply, you know, I, well, I'm just, just going to have to bite my tongue then because I want to be unified, you know, or, you know, it just keeps your mouth shut, just, just not going to say anything and just kind of put up with things. Is that the kind? No, that's false unity. There's, there's still a troubling going on just because you've learned to maybe keep your mouth shut to certain people. And, and, and so that's not what the, the kind of unity that Paul's going after here. He's He's going after something a lot more than that. And, and all of us, that kind of unity I just described, I mean, all of us have probably experienced it as children or as parents when you have your children in the back seat of the car and they're fighting and they're going at it or maybe you are one of the children that are fighting and going at it and you remember this and your parents are, hey, turn, you know, don't make me stop the car, you know, and, and they're getting a little upset and, you know, don't make me come back there and you're trying to reach for, you know, and they're kind of moving their legs a little bit because you just think some of that encouragement pressure on the knee kneecap might help or something like that and it's kind of driving you crazy and finally he's like kids stop it for crying out loud you know and 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 then then it's unity right I mean they know you're serious that you know it's the last warning and and are they reconciled to each other no they still hate each other's guts or you know they're driving each other nuts but they just know what daddy might be doing or mommy might be doing with you know what they're going to follow through on that thread and so I guess we're going to kind of get along even though I still don't like you and so then it just becomes a you know mom and dad can't see I mean all have you done that have you experienced it you know okay at least experience it yeah of course because that's not unity that's just kind of just shutting your mouth and trying to get along again that's not what Paul is going for here. He's going for real, authentic, true unity. He's calling them, I want you to think a different way. That's what this whole series in Philippians is. It's kind of turning it upside down because the way that the world teaches us and the way that comes natural to us is oftentimes very upside down compared to how God's word is teaching us. And, and one of the big problems with that is our sinful, selfish nature that we kind of think we can have it all figured out. You know what? God has it figured out in his word and he gives us the instructions here on how we can have authentic, real love and unity for and with one another. And so what I encourage you to do right now is write this down on your sermon note outline. If we can go to the next slide, write down at, 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 you know, at, and, and leave some spaces here, write down the words, if, then, by. Okay, I'm really hoping that you're going to even, perhaps even maybe commit to memory these three words, and, and there's going to be a little bit more than that. But if, then, by. Can you say that? If, then, by. Say it again. 
Okay, so you're going to break down this passage. We're going to go through these four verses. We're going to do a, a, a Bible study here. We're going to see how Paul calls the church and how God's word is calling us today to live in unity with one another, in our families, wherever we go, how this can happen. And so if, then, by. What is it? If. Okay, good. You're getting it. Okay, so first of all, he begins in, in, verse, chap- in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ. So I encourage you right now to write down the word, if we can go to the next slide, encouragement in Christ. So let's go to the next one. There we go. If there's any encouragement, okay. Encouragement, this word here is the same word. It's related to the word that Jesus used in John chapter 14 when he said that the Holy Spirit would come and comfort us. Paraclete is the word that is used here, which means someone who comes alongside of you. Has the Lord ever come alongside of you in your life? Has he ever come, come alongside of you in, 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 as you've been walking through? Has he come alongside and strengthened, encouraged you, ministered to you? Have you experienced that in your life? If so, put a big check mark beside the word encouragement. If you have been encouraged in Christ, put a check mark there. Encourage you to do that even right now. The next thing, any comfort. Any comfort from his love. Have you ever been comforted by the love of Christ in the midst of pain, loneliness, hurt, sickness, in the midst of betrayal? Have you sensed his love? Maybe things are happening on the outside, but you have, have, have been standing there almost like you, you're sheltered in the midst of the storm. You've received comfort from the love of Christ. Have you known that comfort? I mean, just a few moments ago, we were singing that song, Here is love vast as the ocean. Have you experienced comfort from the love of Christ? Have you, ex- have you experienced the comfort that comes from having your sins forgiven? Not the comfort of, oh, put my feet up, you know, on, on the lawn chair, but that comfort of safety and protection that comes to us. Have you experienced that from Christ? I so encourage you to put a check mark beside that. If you've had any participation, is the next word, uh, or fellowship, participation in the Spirit, which is the word fellowship, koinonia in there. Can you look over your life? Can you look over your life, whether it's been in recent weeks, months, years, decades gone past, and where you were at one point just really close-knit, and maybe you're there right now, hope you are, close-knit to some other believers that, that you know what, maybe it was part of a small group you were in or, or a, a, a church body that was really tight and just really, you know, just, just experiencing that koinonia, that fellowship from one another that comes from the Lord. Maybe it was because you went on a missions trip and, and you as a missions trip just, as a group just really bonded together or, you know what, maybe Maybe you were a camp counselor. Oftentimes camp, when you go to Bible camp and you're a camp counselor, there is a unity and a bonding that happens that week as you're ministering, as you're serving throughout week by week, summer by summer. Have you ever experienced that sweet fellowship from brothers and sisters in Christ in your life? Have you ever experienced that? If so, put a check mark beside that. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you have that experience with the Lord and, and with others and Or maybe you're looking back and say, oh yeah, I remember some good days. I remember some days of revival. Oh, that was sweet. Oh, I remember this small group. I mean, we were just so tight in the way we prayed and the way we were able to serve and what God did in that midst. And then things happened and people moved away and, you know, or maybe there was some disunity. Who knows what. But but you've experienced it. You've tasted that sort of thing. And 
And, and maybe you're looking back and say, oh, those are the good old days. I trust you can remember some times like that, but I also want to remind you that these can also be the good old days, that, that some new good old days that the Lord wants to do in our midst as a church body, as a church family. And, and a lot of times, even that, that fellowship together happens, I mean, when we're serving together, you know, even as we're doing setup or takedown, there, there's, you know, a busyness and a chaos to, to some of it, you know, just the, kind of the, 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 you know, intensity of it, and yet there's, there's that fellowship that, hey, we're working together towards something. This is good. This is, this is encouraging. This is fellowship together. And then the next one, if you've had any affection... Or sympathy? Have you ever experienced times in your life when you've been so moved by the needs or the hurts of another that your feelings turned into actions? That you've been moved from selfishness into, you know, something we all struggle with and, and, and all of a sudden it was just like this so gripped you and you're like, I gotta help. I gotta do something got to help this person or, or, or commit to, 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 to walking side by side in this situation or get involved in this area. Have you been there? Have you experienced that sort of affection and sympathy for others? And so what Paul is basically saying to summarize this, this encouragement, this comfort from the love, this fellowship, this affection and sympathy, basically he's saying, if Christ has impacted your life, you can fill that in. If Christ has impacted your life through the encouragement, from the comfort, from the love, from fellowship, from affection and sympathy, then he goes on to say, then, that's where the then comes, we just finished the, the if part. So, if Christ has impacted your life, then, he says, keep going. Keep going. Complete my joy in verse 2. You see, Paul was the one who brought the gospel to the Philippian church. And he says, you've started out, you've, you, you've started the, the pro process here, you, you've started walking with the Lord, now finish it. And in, in chapter 1, he even calls them, to, he who has started that good work in you will bring it on to completion. Finish the job. Round the bases. Go all the way home. Some of you have made it first base, second base in a second. Keep on going. He says, make my joy complete. Don't stop. Keep going. Don't fizzle out. Don't quit. Don't pack it in. Even though it's hard, keep on going. And how do we do this? By, and, and this comes into our by part. Now he says, so if Christ has impacted your life, don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. And then how do we do this? By pursuing. Verse 2, it says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. By pursuing Oneness, oneness in love, or unity is another word in there that would work. In, in love, in, in oneness, in, in mind, in purpose, and what are they supposed to be in one mind about? What are they supposed to be in oneness about? Well, we're going to get to that in a couple of moments. But another thing he says here about humility in verse 3. And uh, I'm going to ask Dwayne to come up here, and, and I need him to, to read verse 3. And, and, and I just need some help in doing this. I'm getting a little thirsty, and so I just think if, if he can help me read this, that would be really helpful at this time. So, but, but let's set it up this way while I drink a little bit of water here, that, that Dwayne's going to read it, and you are the audience, you are the Philippian church, and he's the guy who brought the letter from Paul. So he's kind of excited. He's a little out of breath. He's, he's rather excited to be able to read this scroll to you. And, um, and so here he is, your church. 
church. Can you look at least a little awake, a little eager? It's just like, he's here. This is from Paul. So can you just like give me the eye that you're, you're awake, you know? And, and I'm just going to drink a little bit of water here as he reads that, okay? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What? Can you read that again? Because I think I missed something there. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay. So, thank you, Duane. When he would have said, hope I didn't wreck the mic, um, when he would have said the word humility, that's what would have happened if somebody had coffee in their mouth while he was reading that. He's like, you can't be serious. Humility? I mean, that's almost like, I mean, that's, huh, that's a derogatory kind. I mean, that's for slaves. And, and that, I mean, who pursues that? I mean, and in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, and even very much today in our day, the word humility is not shone upon in a very wonderful way. It can get that kind of reaction. It's like taking and, and, and drinking. It, it reminds me another time that Charlotte came home one day from uh, shopping, I think it was, or, or what, yeah, must have been, and, and she handed me a water bottle that looked just like this one, except it didn't have a thing on it, and I thought, oh, when she handed it to me, I just thought, oh, she just ripped off the, the tag or whatever, and, and she said, here, it's vanilla, and, and, um, and I, I assumed, and, and this was just when flavored water was starting to, to become quite common, I thought it was just vanilla flavored water, and I thought, what? Uh, vanilla flavored water, but I was kind of thirsty, and, and it wasn't completely full, it had already been open, so I took a shot of it, and no, it was vanilla. It was Mexican vanilla that was clear, and, um, and, and so it got that same kind of reaction, like, what in the world is going on? Well, this word humility would have been so similar to this, would have given very much the same kind of reaction, because, um, I mean, humility was seen as weakness, as groveling. If you want to get somewhere in this, this life, it's about being the strong and the mighty and confident and, and, and having others under you. I mean, there is no way. I mean, this humility thing, I mean, and he's saying do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, he's saying don't promote yourself, promote others. That's the opposite of what's in our hearts. I mean, the opposite in our heart is promote myself. Let people see me, how good, how wonderful, how amazing I am. You see, my and your sinful, selfish heart tells us that the way you're going to get ahead, the way that you're really going to get somewhere is if you promote yourself and, and, and allow others to see how good you are. And, and, and there is, our world is so full of arrogance and self-promotion. And, and I mean, you see it in our athletes. And I mean, I was watching... Uh, Yesterday, I was going through the channels, and all of a sudden, I thought, oh, a classic hockey game was on. And it was the Montreal Canadiens playing the Boston Bruins, game seven of, of, of the um, semifinals. It was coming right down to the wire, and it was so amazing. I mean, even back then, just there was just a difference in, in athletes and how they celebrated and, and, and how now there's so much more kind of, you know, look at me, look at how amazing I am. And, and, and I mean, whether it's, it's with athletes and, and movie stars, so much self-promotion. I mean, even selfies have become, you know, just, I mean, we're, we're always taking pictures of ourselves and, and, and putting them out there. Oscar Wilde, he was an Irish writer, poet from many years ago. He was one time crossing an international border and, and he was asked the question by the border guard. He he said, do you have anything to declare? And he said, only my genius. 
You just think, wow, okay, that guy, yeah, okay, a little, little on the cocky side there. And, and, and these kind of things can be funny, but it can also be very reflective of what's oftentimes in our own heart. We can become proud of being humble. C.S. Lewis said that the first step in conquering pride is realizing that you have a problem. And if you think you don't have a problem with pride, you probably have the biggest one of all. You see, when it comes to serving the Lord, it can even flow into our lives. We want people to know how hard we're working and serving the Lord. We want to be recognized. And I remember a number of years ago, and yeah, yeah, I mean, I would leave emails at times to send in the morning, and oftentimes towards the end of the week, my my alarm clock goes off earlier and earlier in the morning just to get the work done, work towards getting the sermon done. And, and so oftentimes before I would get up, first thing I would do before I'd even spend any time in the Word, make a coffee, I would send some of those emails because I wanted people who I was sending them to know what time those emails came in because I wanted them to know that they had a very hard-working pastor. Crazy things we do. And, and so the Lord convicted me on that. But you know what? There's other areas. I mean, my, my, my heart is, is a self-promoting, idol-making factory. And, and it, it wants to always be promoting itself, myself. How do I look in front of others? And so we have to keep putting these things to death. As we get victory in one area, another area will no doubt pop up. Oh, how we need to be confessing our pride and our desire for self-promotion because we're going to see there's only one person that we need to be promoting. And when we do, that leads to fulfillment. That leads to joy. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so this one finishes off by focusing on others, by pursuing others. We often want to be noticed and appreciated. We want people to know what we're doing. And yet, we're called to live differently, to think differently, to act differently. James McDonald, I was reading something from him this week, and he said, everything that you and I do this week to promote me, promote ourselves, will lead to misery. It just will. And everything I do, everything we do to help and encourage and build up others will lead to joy. That's crazy. I know, because it's so opposite to, to what's in our own heart. But Paul says, in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. You think, is Paul crazy in writing this? I mean, that's, that, that's foolish talk. and That means you're going to get taken advantage of. Yeah, it might. It might, and it probably will. But I'm not talking about being self-depreciating and thinking, oh, I'm just lousy and oh, I stink and, you know, just kind of, you know, that's not humility because when you're doing that, you're still focusing on yourself. You're, you're showing how humble you are or how lack of, and there's still pride in that. And, and so maybe you're sitting here and you think, okay, Melvin, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to take this next week and I'm, gonna, I'm going to, to do this. You know, I'm going to just think of others. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to look for opportunities to, to jump in there and, and to help somebody who's going through a hard time. And, and I'm going to shut my mouth when it comes to, you know, at saying things or, or doing things to promote myself. Um, so, Melden, if I do this, will, will you guarantee me that my joy meter by the end of the week will be way just tipping on the other end of the scale that I will just be full of joy? Uh, no, I can't promise you that, actually. 
because you're still doing it with the hope of wondering what you're going to get out of it. And you think, okay, well, this sounds like a death sentence. Yeah, it is. It is a death sentence, a death to self. Not too many of you, just even upon hearing what I'm describing, we think right away, oh, that sounds like fun. Sign me up. I'm going to do it. I thought this sermon series was on joy. This sounds like it's just misery. It just sounds like getting taken advantage of and, and getting walked over in life. And, and, and so the question is, what's driving this? I mean, how do I do this? How, how do I do it? Do I just try harder and, and, and be more disciplined? And do I just sign up for everything, every opportunity that I can handle? You know, like in the church or in the community or, you know, at, at work, you know, there's a need. Okay, I'll, I'll serve. I'll, I'll, I'll help out. Do I just totally deprive myself and, and I'm all here for others? I mean... It sounds good, and, and sure, we'll take you if you want to sign up for everything, but you're just going to get burnt out and bitter because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Well, the answer, and this, the answer to what I've just been describing and, and how we go about doing this is actually described in the next number of verses. And the example that we follow, but we're not going there this week. We're only looking at the first four verses. So the answer to this must be even within these four verses, because Paul made this pretty bold statement here in, in these verses. The answer is found in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, you know what this is doing? This is describing a life that has been touched and changed that has experienced Jesus Christ, that has been touched and changed by Jesus, whose life has been impacted by the gospel. You see, it is the gospel that drives the kind of life that I'm talking about. It is the gospel that drives the humility and the, the thinking of others more highly than ourselves, not giving ourselves over to rivalry or conceit. You see, it's the gospel, and Paul is intoxicated with the gospel. In the first five, uh, in the first chapter, in chapter one, five times he mentions the word gospel. And Paul knew that if people were unified together in the gospel, that every piece of ham served at any church supper, no matter how, right, how big or how small it was, would just be the right size because it just wouldn't matter. Because the gospel changes everything. You say, what is the gospel, Meldon? I hear this a lot. I hear it a lot coming out of your mouth. I, I, I hear this word, and I mean, there's gospel music, there's gospel preaching, there's, you know what, the gospel, what is it? Well, basically, we're going to talk about it for the next few moments, because we need to understand this, that when the gospel, get, when we say the word gospel, we just don't want to float over it. You need to understand what we're talking about, what Paul is talking about when he's talking about, if Christ has impacted your life in any way, if that means the gospel has impacted your life, well, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel means good news. It's the good news. It's life with Christ at the center. And one of the best ways to describe the gospel is found in one of the verses that is probably the most well-known verses that, that you'll find in John chapter 3, verse 16. And I'd love to take a whole sermon and, and, and walk through that verse. It is so powerful. It is life-changing. And so oftentimes we memorize and we just kind of float over and say, oh, that's a wonderful truth. Mm. But there's... It's just so rich with truth. It starts out, for God, for God, the God, just, okay, think about it, the God of this universe, 
almighty, all-powerful God. God loved the world. But, and, and most of us know John 3.16. We, we could memorize it, but the words for God or God, there's a lot of wise people here in this room. There's a lot of people who've walked with God for a lot of years. Even if we pooled all of our knowledge, all of our resources, and all of our understanding of God and who he really is, we couldn't even start scratching the surface of trying to describe who God is. We just couldn't do it because he is so amazing, so powerful. I, I'll give you a little assignment this afternoon or sometime this week to Google the words. You might want to write it down. Just write, write down, that's my king. Encourage you to, to do that. And there's a, a black preacher who goes on a rant on that's my king. And I'm going to read some of that to you this this morning, but I can't do it the same way that he is. We should have actually probably played the video for you, but, but just listen to our God. Listen to, to what he's put together. It's all from God's word. The Bible says he is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David says... The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. No measure can define his limitless love. No far-seen telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's impartially merciful. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you you should choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses leopards. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? That's my king. That describes our God. So, John 3, 16, for God, who I just described, so loved, so loved the world. He loved us. That word loved isn't just a mediocre, conditional love. It's not just a moderate love. It is a massive love that he has on this world that he has on you and me. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how much we have failed, no matter how much we have fallen, he loves us. And he doesn't love some future cleaned up version of you. He loves you who you are right here, right now. It's evil people in our world today that are doing terrible things. He loves them massively. Not just like, oh, I'll, I'll think about loving them. No, he loves them regardless of what they have done. He loves us right here, right now. No matter our doubts, our concerns, our struggles, our failures, 
that's our God. That's who He is. He loves us so much that He gave His one and only Son to come to this earth. And He lived the worthy life that we could never live. He died the guilty death that none of us want to die. And He died that death. His death satisfied the wrath of God against us. He became our substitute. This is a massive, laser-pointed love pointed right at you and me. So how do I get it? How do I get this? God Almighty, so powerful, loved us in a massive way. His Son, it goes on to say, whoever, what? Believes. That literally means believes into Him. Not just this, you know what, yes, I I believe it's going to be a nice day today because I looked at the weather forecast, I see the sun shining, yes, I believe it's going to. No, this is a belief that is beyond a shadow of a doubt. It is a belief that goes deep into his heart that whoever believes in him takes real belief into Jesus. It's that Jesus just basically isn't, you know when you go to a buffet, I mean, have you ever been to one of these really fancy, I'm not talking the cheap buffet for $7.99 where it's just everything all tastes the same and that, but you go to one of these expensive buffets where you have everything and, and, and you have the prime rib and you have the ham and you have, you know, the homemade pierogies and you have, all, you know what, the, the buns fresh out of the oven and the fancy desserts and... Oh yeah, you have the salad. I mean, who's going to eat the salad when you have all of this stuff, right? And, and no, we're going for the, the good stuff, that, that filler stuff. You know, we're not going to... Oftentimes in life, we treat Jesus like the salad. The garnish on the plate. Just, oh, I better have some. Better, better have some in case mom sees me. You know, sort of thing. Or, you know, I, I better do this just to ease my conscience. That's not who Jesus wants to be. And that's not what believing him. It's just not having him as garnish on the side of the plate. It is believing deep into him. We trust him with our whole life. We believe him with our entire heart. We turn our lives over to him. We surrender to him. And when he becomes our center... He's the main course at the buffet, if you want to say it that way. That everything comes out of him. It's all because of what he has done. And we stop hiding and we stop resisting and we surrender to him. And we surrender to him because of his love for us, because of his goodness, because he is... He surrendered himself on the cross for us and we are so blown away that he would die for somebody like us. And so we can't help but want to surrender to that kind of person who loves us like that. How wonderful is that? We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to know all the answers. God has all the answers. He has lovingly provided everything for us in Christ. So whoever believes in Him will not what? Perish. Hell is for people who could have enjoyed the love of God, but they held back. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. That means to perish. Back in, I think it was in the 60s, there was a screenplay that was written. It was 35 seconds long. It was called Breathe or Breath. I, I'm not sure uh, which way it went. And, and basically the curtains went up and there was a baby's cry. And on the stage was a pile of garbage. 
some food, some stuff, some furniture, things that represented life. And at the end of 35 seconds, there was a groan, and the curtain went down. Play was over. That was the screenwriters, or the, the scriptwriters' description of life here on earth. It's just a breath. And all of that stuff on the stage that represents our life will just be a pile of stuff on the stage. And only what we have in Christ and what we have done for Christ will last. Everything else will end up, I mean, all of the nice stuff, that nice vehicle you drive, the nice ring that you have, the nice, eventually it's all going to end up on a pile of junk somewhere, it'll end up in a drawer, it will get forgotten, it will be, the things that we have, stri- have, have worked so hard towards, anything of this world, it won't last. It will perish. But everything that we have done for God in our relationship with Him goes on into eternity. That whoever believes into Jesus will not perish but will have everlasting life. This eternal life is available right now, right here, and available worldwide to all hell-deserving sinners who have been massively loved by the almighty God of the universe, the King of Kings, who gave His Son. Have you trusted Him today? That is the most important thing. What our hearts yearn for the most is love and acceptance, and and we'll never fully get that from anyone here on earth because no one can fully love us with the, the full love and the acceptance that we really crave and desire, but God can. He loves us. He's crazy about us. He's absolutely crazy about you. The God of this universe cares about you. He cares about each one of us. Do you know him today? That is so important that you do. You see, that is the gospel. It's what Christ has done. And and in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, I encourage you to write down down this reference. And actually, the the first seven verses are amazing. We read it at our stop, drop, and prayer prayer time this morning at 9.15. But but just even reading the last verse here of, of this section of chapter 15, it says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the gospel. In a sentence, what has Christ done? He has welcomed you. So what do we do? Now we go and we welcome others. And whose glory do we do it for? For our glory? No, for His glory. That's why we do it. That's the gospel. And and so that's why what Christ has done for us, now we go out in humility, thinking of others better than ourselves because of His great love for us, because of His love is the motivator of that. And you know what? He just doesn't welcome us, or I mean, He just doesn't tolerate us, you know, and another true story, uh, Charlotte and I, when we moved to Alberta, we bought our first home and we were pretty excited about it. We had some pretty nice furniture and at least it was for us. I got it at a um, used furniture place, but, but it was nice for us and, and we were pretty excited about it. And, and, um, and so church people would come over and visit and, and one of our very first set of guests came over and, and um, they were a younger couple and they came right in and and sat down, and they said, yeah, we thought we'd give you a call, but you just, we don't live that far, so we just thought we'd stop by, and so we're like, yeah, sure, come on in, and 
And, uh, and they were like, oh, we were just horseback riding. He was like, yeah, you didn't have to tell us that. And uh, you're going to sit down with those yeah, sure, just go ahead, sit down, you know, and, 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 and there's horse hair and horse smell and horse stuff and, and, and that on them, and, and, and so we were nice, we were very hospitable, we probably faked it a little bit, and, and you know what, we, we tolerated that visit, and, and we looked forward to maybe a future visit that we were more aware of, and, and, and maybe a little cleaned up version of them, and, and um, that's not how God treats us. He doesn't tolerate us. He welcomes us. And that thought should just blow your mind. It should blow each one of our minds that, that he loves us so much in that kind of a way. And so Paul is calling the church to unity. He's calling them to humility, to be thinking of others. Why? Because it's a response to what Christ has done. It's a response to the gospel. And as we grow in this and as we deepen in this and and, and as we understand this is the vertical relationship that is so important that we have an understanding of who God is and what he has done, that then feeds the horizontal. As we understand his love, his grace, his mercy, then we are able to go out there and we are able to consider others not doing things out of vain conceit or, or, or how this is going to make us look good. We're doing it because of what he has done. We, we become conduits of his grace and his mercy because we are understanding, we are blown away. When we worship Jesus on a Sunday morning or you're driving in the vehicle or wherever you are, you're exercising, you're listening to some worship music, that can be one of the greatest ways to do it. And, and you become so aware of his grace and his mercy. Oh, are there tears that flow of just gratitude and just overwhelmed? I mean, the older I get, the more meaningful that old hymn, Amazing Grace, sounds to me. A lot of times when we were dating, I would be standing with Charlotte. Sometimes we'd be singing that song or even freshly married. And I'd say, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Charlotte. You know, and, uh, you know, I mean, just whatever, right? Like, silly, whatever. But now it just hits me even more, saved a wretch like me. Like Paul, even at the, the mighty, powerful guy that, that God used in a powerful way to write this book. I mean, what did he say? He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? He struggled, and, 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 and we will continue to struggle, but we, that's why we have to keep going back to the gospel. We have to keep going to the good news, because it's the thing that started the Christian life for us, and it's the fuel to keep us going. Everything we do. And the gospel, you know what it does? It wakes up sleepy Christians. And it wakes us up. It's like smelling salt. Have you ever used that smelling salt? Athletes who get their bell rung, now they have more, you know what, uh, humane and, and different sort of, you know what, concussion sort of protocols that, that professional sports have to follow. But if you get your bell rung in, in, in a sport, they would give you this smelling salt. If you ever, it just, you know, it makes you go like that. Well, the gospel, when we catch it in a new and a fresh way on a daily basis, it's a kind of wake up to, to wake up sleepy Christians. The gospel takes and it saves nominal Christians. And lost people turn to Jesus. That's what the gospel does. And everything that we do should be about the gospel. When we set up, when we take down, when, when you walk in the doors, have you noticed that the big words in, in the lobby that it said is our mission statement? Well, that mission statement you can write across a gospel. It's about getting the gospel out. That's what we're here for. And so Paul is calling us to do this. 
So oftentimes we can start out strong and we kind of fizzle and we kind of move into complacency. That's where we need a new truckload of the gospel delivered into our life and we need to spend time just before the Lord, just in awe of what he has done. And as you and I do this, if we get serious about this, pursuing this kind of living like Paul described here, that if the gospel has made any difference in our lives, we're going to keep on going and we're going to do it by pursuing others, pursuing oneness. And if you're doing it and I'm doing it, every conversation that we should have, that the church should feel a little bit like heaven on earth, shouldn't it? If we're all pursuing this. When people walk in the doors, it's, we have conversation with them and we're there interested in them. When it's a waiter or a waitress, somebody out and about in wherever we are, that when they finish with us, it should almost be that they've had a moment with Jesus. They feel loved, affirmed, maybe challenged at times, because Jesus challenged people. Hopeful, ready for the next challenge. You see, when we have a proper understanding of the vertical, a proper understanding of the doctrine of the gospel, then we have gospel community happening in our own lives. And you know what that equals? Power and unity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you have saved us. That all we had to do was turn our lives to you. And, and that, that is costly. That surrender, that believing deep into the heart of Jesus it's so life-giving. You, you did the ultimate work. And Jesus coming to this earth, dying for us on the cross, we say thank you. Thank you that you are Lord. Thank you that you have saved us. May we be people that are so in love with and so amazed by the gospel and what you have done here for us, loved us in a massive way that we just desire to live that and share that and be unified in our families because some things just won't matter. Many things just won't matter for the sake of the gospel. Change our hearts. Deepen us in the understanding of your great love for us. May we just, even this week, just be reminded over and over again your great love, your great sacrifice, and may that be the fuel, the motivator to living in unity and harmony with one another wherever we go this week. May we give hope to those who don't know you, encouragement and challenge to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as we strive together in unity. We pray in Jesus' name.